Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask me why, for no one knows quite the reason. It could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all, don't miss this, may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. And probably why the Bible says that above all things, above everything, this is in Scripture, we're to guard our heart because it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Everything flows from it. Everything flows through it. Everything we are, every relationship we will experience has everything to do with our heart. Interesting, isn't it? And let me just say it this way. I believe that our heart's condition determines all of our honest connections. Everything has to do with the heart. And so the quicker that we're willing to take the journey... We're willing to take a look at our Grinch-like heart condition that can become a part of every one of us, the quicker we're going to understand Christmas and start to experience life the way it was supposed to be. Would you agree? Yes. Now, church, you got to do better than this, okay? I don't know how you were gripping your steering wheel as you were coming to church, but you can let go of it now, okay? All right? We're in the house of the Lord. And so we're going to look at a real-life Grinch who was in the first real-life Christmas story. And his name was Herod. Someone that doesn't get talked about come Christmas. He sort of gets lumped into the wise men, but they overshadow. And I'd like to reverse that, if you will. Because just like our Dr. Seuss Grinch, he hated Christmas. And just like our Dr. Seuss Grinch, his heart was two sizes too small. But just like our Dr. Seuss Grinch, I think we can experience the same heart condition if we're not careful. And I just want to caution you. Don't be too quick to think, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to compare me to Herod because you think you know the Christmas story. But I contend, and I'll only speak for me, there's a lot of times there's a lot of Herod in me. And I want to show you that. Because here's why you don't want to write him off. King Herod started life just the way you and I start life. An innocent, helpless little child. But somewhere in the journey of growing up, his heart didn't grow the same. And I think that somehow in America, somehow in this journey called planet Earth, 
that maybe as we're growing up, our heart somehow gets stuck as well. And so I want to help you with it. I was actually reading an article this week called, ready for this? Five Symptoms of a Grinch-like Heart Condition. An actual article. Five symptoms. And I thought I'd quickly put them on the screen. And this would just be, a, if you will, sort of priming the pump that you would start asking yourself, have I let the Grinch into my heart just a little bit? And here's the first symptom. You've developed a pessimistic attitude toward the whole holiday season. In other words, you tend, even as a child of God, you tend to get caught up in the commercialism and you tend to talk negative about it. I get so tired of Christmas. We've made it so commercial. And you start becoming pessimistic. I just want you to think about this. So, what does the world have to do with your heart? Just because that's what the world is doing, why are you talking about it? Unless your heart might be experiencing the same. Because the Bible says our mouth speaks what's in our heart. Just because people get caught up in all the commercialism and the negative doesn't keep me from smiling and enjoying the Christmas season. Are you with me in this? Here's the second symptom. You procrastinate putting up the tree and hanging the lights. It's something you keep putting off. Many of you know well over a month and a half ago we put up our tree. I love Christmas. I just as soon leave it up all year. And we just might in our house. I love all about Christmas. It never comes soon enough, and it ends way too soon for me. Uh, here's number three. You tend to go through the motions. You don't even realize it. This is just what we do at Christmas. We just got to do it. Family will come. That's what they do at Christmas. And you find yourself going through the motions. Here's number four. You find yourself withdrawing from people and from the world. You find yourself this time of year isolating. I hear people do that. Well, we're gonna be, I'm going to be alone at Christmas. Why? Well, I don't have family anymore. Whoa, who am I? We had people at our house for Thanksgiving that weren't part of my immediate family because they had no place to go. My daughter even called up and wanted her to know that she has a friend that couldn't go home, so she said, you mind she come? Sure. It was just a joy to sit around. You think about people of the Sky Force and basketball players that can't get home. You have kids that are in college and basketball teams here from USF and Augie that can't get home. I want to be the church that says, come be with us. Folks, you're only alone if you choose to be alone, especially if you call yourself a follower of God. That's a victim attitude, not a victor's attitude. You're never alone if you got God. So why would you even say those words? Well, I'm going to be alone. What, Jesus leave you or what? You're not alone. You're not alone. By the way, you'll never hear those words in heaven. Well, I'm just going to be on this cloud alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. You might want to look around. That would be fire. Okay. All right. Um, here's number five. This one might be the most telltale sign. You're going to breathe a sigh of relief when it's all over. And boy, have I heard people in the church do that. Oh, so glad Christmas is over. Like, you kidding me? It's never over. Amen. That's my point. 
This is why we need to have this series. And we need to talk about it. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And what I'm going to do, instead of just reading through all of this passage, we're going to pull it by verse by verse as we walk through. I want to paint to you three pictures, if you will. Three pictures as we consider Herod, his heart, and while I'm painting them, I want us to take a look at our own heart. Could we have a Grinch-like condition going on and we don't even realize it? Because the Bible says the Grinch only comes to steal and to kill and destroy. That's the Grinch. Satan wants you and I to go through the motion. Satan wants you and I to get pessimistic. Satan wants us to just, if you will, get all tired of the Christmas season and miss what it's all about. I'm going to say it again. Christmas was never to be a season that we celebrate. It was a moment in time of transformation, and it becomes who we are 365 days a year. It's Christ much. And January 1st, we should be just as excited about Christmas as we were on December 25th. That's why I tell, you, tell you, in my home, we don't, I don't, I shouldn't say we, I don't like celebrating birthdays. I've done too many funerals for families who waited for the birthday, but they never got there, and now we're sitting here grieving the loss. You send flowers while they're living because those flowers aren't going to do the person any good at their funeral. You embrace the moment you got. You quit putting it off. You want to build a marriage? Quit thinking about your anniversary. Make every day the anniversary. That's how you build a marriage. In other words, you'll take her for granted, men. And there's a great enigma about marriage these days. My dad says it all the time. It's the greatest enigma I know that two people can hold their hands and no one could ever talk them out of it. And how can they over time get to the point where they actually use the words, I hate you? How can this happen and over time this happen? And they better quit blaming everything about and they better start looking at each other's hearts and realizing you make every moment count. She's not a deer to be bagged and put upon the mantle. She's an incredible gift from God that we need to embrace every day. Folks, that's marriage. And I don't know who you're in this room with right now, but men, you ought to reach over and just take her hand. I don't care how long it's been. It's a new day. It's God's day. Amen? Come on, church. Let go of the steering wheel, all right? Come on, all right? So here we go. I want to paint the first picture. Here it is. It's one of a disturbed heart. Say that with me. It's one of a disturbed heart. If you got your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King who? Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is he, Jesus, the one who has been born King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to what? Worship him. Now watch King Herod's response. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. But here's the other part that blows my mind. And all of Jerusalem with him. 
King Herod is disturbed that the news had come that the Messiah has been born, just as we're going to learn the prophet said, which every Jewish boy would know. And all of Jerusalem with him. Why would that be? Most people don't know this, but Herod is a Jew. And all of Jerusalem is Jewish people. They've been waiting. It's what the Jewish faith is all about. Ordained of the Old Testament, prophesied over and over that the Savior is coming. And the news now is that he is here and they're all disturbed. People say, okay, help me connect the dots. I don't know. I drive around the city and I see a lot of Christians that look disturbed. It's Christmas. It's the celebration of the Savior coming. Reminded of who we have in our hearts every day of our lives. Let me, let me help you with this. History tells us that Herod ruled about 40 years. If you know history, you'll know he was a very paranoid leader. Now, sure, he did a lot of good things. He financed an extensive building program, built roads and palaces, funded the rebuilding of the temple. By the way, if you've not ever been to Israel, I would encourage you to go. I love the team that's getting ready to go. If you're still on the fence, get off the fence, go. It's worth the investment. You'll never read the Bible the same. But part of the tour is that you get to go to the Masada. And I'm about to say something. I don't want anybody offensive. But, but outside of Jesus, Herod was probably ever in history the greatest architect ever to live. And when you go to the Masada and see what he built on the top of, if you will, a, a mountain that's flat and it's down walls all the way around it that he built back in his time, completely clean, flowing water. He planted crops on the top and it's in the middle of a desert. And it's still standing today. What he built is absolutely amazing. He did a lot for his people. He one time melted his own gold plates to feed the hungry during a famine. And twice he gave the Jews significant tax cuts. But if you still read about Herod, you will know, for the most part, he was a very paranoid person. In fact, to the point that right after he took office, he had the entire Jewish Sanhedrin, 70 of the most influential Jewish religious leaders, all put to death. He had two of his eldest sons killed, along with his favorite wife, because he saw them as a threat to his throne. And then he turned around and had... Ready for this? His wife's brother, mother, and uncle all killed. That's one of the ways to deal with the in-laws, isn't it? Okay? But, <laughs> but, but why the paranoia? Amen. Did I hear amen? <laughs> I'm slow, but wow. <laughs> Glad you're here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but why the paranoia? I'm going to answer the question this way. Don't miss it. There's only room for one in every human heart to be on the throne. Jesus said, I'll have, God said, what? I'll have no other gods before you. And Jesus said, what? You can never serve two masters. In fact, just to help you understand it, he, he doesn't say you're going to be loyal to one and sort of like the other. He says, you're going to love the one and hate the other. 
There's only in every human heart room for one to be on the throne. Are you ready for this? If it isn't Jesus, everything in life will be a threat. And that will make a disturbed heart. Which was Herod's problem, and I think all of Jerusalem's problem. We want the king to come, just not right now. We know what it's like to be in captivity for the first time we're finally free, so we really don't really, you know... Like, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, so I think, just to kind of make a life insurance policy that just in case, okay, I got that covered, now I'm going to go live my life the way I want again. And we can become like Herod pretty quickly, can't we? Folks, listen to this. The condition of one's heart greatly affects the well-being of yourself and everybody around you. Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. He goes on to help you understand that by saying the good man brings good things out of his good heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil heart. So here's my question. How is the condition of your heart? Really? Are you disturbed? Are you anxious right now? Are you worried? Are you bothered? Those are human things, folks. Because the Bible says, when you come unto Jesus, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. Why do you worry about these things of the world? Does not your father take care of all of the birds of the air and clothe the grass of the fields? Does not your heavenly father care more about you? Seek first the kingdom. I've got it all covered. See, this is why we need to have this series. Because when we hold on to things that we shouldn't, when we try to control things we cannot, when we grow anxious, worried, and fearful, we're losing perspective of what really matters. And when that happens, our heart begins to shrink and a Grinch-like heart begins to steal Christmas. David prayed in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. That's what he said. He's praying this to God, search me and see if there is any, you ready for this? Disturbing, anxious, worried way within me. You know what David's doing? David's saying, listen, I need something greater than myself if I'm going to experience life the way it's supposed to be. And hence God understood that that's what Christmas is all about. It's why he sent us Jesus. You ready for this? A savior. Because without him, we're going to drown. We're not going to make it. So let me draw something I've done with you before. And I just want you to catch it because I'm going to keep coming back to it. Here's the bottom line. No peace. No peace. No peace. Anybody? No peace. You see, if there's no peace here, it's because you don't know peace here. Because when you know peace here, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. That's why Paul said, greater is he that is in me than anything that's in the world. Whom shall I fear? Nothing can separate me from God. Not height, not depth, not width, not poverty, not success. He goes through it all. Not hardship. God's for me. Greater is he. 
Church, are we've developed, have we developed a Herod cringe-like condition? Here's the second picture I want to paint. It's one of a deceitful heart. Say that with me. It's one of a deceitful heart. Come on, own it and say it a little louder. It's one of a deceitful heart. Look at verses 4 through 8. When Herod had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea. Remember I told you, all the Jews know this, all the boy Jews. They replied, for this is what the prophet had written. They know what the scriptures, this is what it's about. This is what a Jew's waiting for. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least. Notice that line, we'll come back to that in a moment. Among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. I find that interesting. And he found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And if you know the story, we know that is just a pile of uh. That ain't what he wants to do. Saying one thing, doing another. It's called deceitfulness. And I think we can tend to be like Herod if we're not careful. Let me just say it this way. If you lift your hands in here, but you live differently out there, the Grinch is stealing your Christmas. And you may fool the world, you'll never fool God because nothing is hidden to God. All God cares about is the heart. Jesus said in Mark 7, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are so far from me. In fact, he adds these words, their worship is in vain. It's in vain. I've shared this many, many years ago. But back in Shakespearean era, theater was a big deal. But back in Shakespearean time, it was much different than we do today. Now when you put a movie or theater out, you hire an individual for each role that is played. But back in Shakespearean era, that the actors would just have masks. And an actor would have more than one face. He would speak a part. And then he'd pull up another mask and speak apart. Back then, the actors were called hypocrites. That was their title. It was not a negative thing. It was a very positive thing. It was defining who they were. What? People of two faces. Over time, we've turned it into a negative thing. And basically, what we're saying is this. Are you the person on stage that you are off stage? Are they the same person? Or do you wake up in the morning and put one face on? And then when you're home, you put another face on. When you're with certain friends, you're this. When you're with other friends, you're this. Folks, listen. I believe every one of us struggle with some form of hypocrisy. But here's the question I have for you. When it comes to this, when you struggle with hypocrisy, are you trying to stop it? Or are you hiding and justifying yourself behind it? Nothing that bothers me more when I hear Christians say in the midst of their sinful ways, well, we all make mistakes. You know what I say? Don't lump me into that group. I know I make mistakes. I'm not trying to, and I'm not justifying myself in it. Christians don't go, well, we all make mistakes. Christians go, I'm so sorry that was wrong. Christians don't ask Jesus to walk with him with them. Christians want to walk with Jesus. 
It's a different mindset. In the book of Numbers, it says, your sin will find you out. There's a book out called View from the Zoo. It's written by Gary Richmond. He was a former zookeeper. Great book. He says that raccoons go through a glandular change at about two years of age. Did you know that? A baby raccoon, about two years, things begin to change. After that, they often attack their owners now. He says a 30-pound raccoon will be equal to a 100-pound dog in a fight. Thus, I felt compelled to mention this to my friend Julie, who had a pet raccoon. She listened politely as I explained to her her coming danger. I'll never forget her response, and boy, have I heard these words. It'll be different with me. And then she added, my bandit would never hurt me. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations, and she'll never look the same when bandit attacked her for no apparent reason. Now listen to this very carefully. The same is true with a deceitful heart. You know what deceitfulness is? When you think it'll be different for you. That's one of the great myths in our world today. Because sin often dresses it in adorable covers. You know the old adage, well, if it feels so good, how can it be so wrong? And how easy it is to think it'll be different with me. But I want you to listen to this very carefully. It will never be different with you because sin has already been defined and it's already calculated and it's already predictable. Your heart will shrink and most often to the point that no more spiritual things will ever convict you. You grow numb. And the Grinch-like heart will steal your Christmas because the bottom line is this. No peace, no peace. But no peace, no peace. That's why we need to pray as David prayed. Search me, O God, know my heart. See if there's any offensive, deceitful, dishonest way within me. Here's picture number three. I'm going to invite the team to the stage. It's one of a desperate heart. Say that with me. It's one of a desperate heart. Listen carefully. I'm talking about a heart that's always searching for something you'll never find unless it's Jesus. I'm talking about a heart that aches for belonging, for purpose, that can only be found in Jesus. I'm talking about a heart that is always longing for someone, something to validate them when only Jesus can do that. Look at verses 16 through 18. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted, who's the focus here? Herod is. It's those words, how could you do this to me? You don't know what happened to me. Who's the focus? When Herod realized he had been outwitted, By the Magi, he was furious. If you don't know the story, when Herod says, go make careful search of the child, they leave and they go find the child. But when they find the child, in a dream, the Spirit of God says, you need to go a different way because Herod's trying to kill the child. So the Magi go a different way. When Herod realizes he's been outwitted by the Magi, he's furious. Well, of course, when you make yourself the focus, anybody who lets you down you grow angry as if somehow you've never let people down. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Now you'd go, well, that's not me. I'll just simply say this. When you're not satisfied here, you'll never be satisfied here because no one can fill the void in your life. I hear people say, well, if I could just marry the right person. Nope, never will. God will never let you marry the right person because then you'd make the right person. See, I say it this way. I love my wife, but I'll never let my wife have the throne of my heart. Because if I do, when Kay dies, now my God is dead. 
and Kay's going to die. I tell my kids it. Sweetie, I love you, but I love Jesus more. Even though I'm your dad, I'm never going to disown the scriptures for anything in your life. That's the truth that sets me free, and I want it to be the truth that sets you free. If I'm not satisfied here, I'll never be satisfied here. It'll never happen. Look what happens. And thus, this is important, what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, don't forget that, weeping and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I'm going to help you with this because so few people understand the power of this verse. It's the most central verse in the entire part of this story. The first mention of Bethlehem in the Bible is actually in connection with death. Did you know that? The first time Bethlehem is mentioned in the Bible, it has to deal with death. It was the death of Jacob's wife, don't forget his name, Jacob's wife, Rachel. You can read about it in Genesis 35. Rachel died giving birth to a son who she named, you ready for this? Benani. Benani means son of my sorrow. But Jacob renamed him Benjamin, meaning son of my right hand. So when she died giving birth, she named him son of my sorrow. But after her death, Jacob said, no, 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 his name's going to be Benjamin, the son of my right hand. Both names are given to Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah, he is a man of many sorrows, acquainted with our grief. And in Acts 5, he's called the son of God's right hand. Now, Jeremiah's prophecy here was 600 years before Jesus was even born. But it actually grew out of the Jews that were taken into captivity. Some of the Jews in 600 years before Jesus, when they were taken to captivity, were taken to Ramah, which is a suburb of Bethlehem. And it reminded Jeremiah of Jacob's sorrow when Rachel had died. And now Rachel is weeping on behalf of all of the mothers of Israel who are watching their sons taking into captivity. So when the prophecy was given, Jeremiah is remembering Bethlehem's a place of death. And Jacob grieved so much the loss of his wife that now Jeremiah says, I can see in my vision Rachel weeping on behalf of all of the little boys that are being taken into captivity away from their mother. And she's weeping now on behalf of all of the children. But now listen to this. Up until Jesus' birth, Bethlehem was avoided by Jews and probably why Herod sent others and why all of Jerusalem did not want to go, even though they knew that Jesus would come in Bethlehem. Because up until this point, it was always known as a place of death. Here's what you need to get about Christmas. Jesus' birth turned it into a place of life. And all around the world since Jesus has been born, and you mention Bethlehem, no one talks about it being a place of death. You mention Bethlehem and people go, that's where Jesus was born. One child the birth of Jesus changed the entire old understanding into a brand new understanding. That's what Jesus does to a life. But now watch this. Most people don't get that. 
Herod, this is where I end this and wrap up. Herod wanted to be the king. Therein lies the problem. But here's what you don't know about Herod. Herod was really only a half Jew. Herod is a descendant of Esau. He's actually an Edomian. Now you might go, what does that mean? I already told you about Jacob. That's Esau's brother. This is so important, you don't miss this. If you don't understand who you are, you will chase everything in the world to try to define you and give you a sense of meaning. And you will always be a desperate human being. Herod wasn't okay with who he was. And he was willing to do whatever he could because the kingship defined him rather than the real king that came. And I think it's a problem in the church today. Why we don't have time to read the scriptures because we're so desperate chasing all the things in the world because it's so important to us. We got to get it done. And there's nothing in your life that's more important than Jesus. That's why church becomes an option. That's why giving is the way it is. That's why we hold on to things. There's a sense of desperation in us. We're trying to find something to define us and we're going to do everything we can to justify it and we don't even want to hear a word like this. What is it about us that we're like Herod? We're not okay with who we are. Still trying to figure out something that maybe if we could do this or do that or accomplish this, we'd be somebody. Can I tell you, if you're in Jesus, you're already somebody. <laughs> because he's the one that gives purpose and meaning. The picture here of Herod is the godly versus the worldly, the spiritual versus the carnal. You know the old adage, desperate times require desperate measures. Not to the Christian. Desperate times mean I don't need to be desperate because he's already got it. Whom shall I fear? Greater is he that is in me. He's my strong tower. He's my shelter. He's my fortress. It's in him that I trust. If there's no peace, there's no peace. But when I know peace, I know peace. And it's a peace that passes all understanding. So church, I simply ask you this because the Bible says in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn, disturbed, deceitful, desperate heart and give you a tender, responsive heart because God knows it's never what the world offers that makes a difference. It's what heaven delivered in Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. So my question is, is there a sense of desperation in you that you need to repent to God? Is there some deceitful things in your life that you've been hiding, holding back? Do you need to confess to God? Are you disturbed? Are you anxious? Are you worried? Christmas isn't a season to celebrate. It was a moment in time of transformation that we get to walk in the peace of God every day of our life. Amen. Father, 
I know I've been guilty of letting the Grinch steal my Christmas. Somehow I've made it a holiday and I forgot it was a holy day that changed everything. God, I pray that each one of us here would pray as David, search me, O God. Search me, check my heart. See if there's anything in there that needs to be looked at. Am I disturbed? Am I deceitful? Am I desperate? God, I pray that this series, even this weekend, is the beginning of something new. Maybe it's a renewal time, but it's time to let go. It's time to let God. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.